Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And Byron, before we get started, uh, in the words of the immortal uh, Mia X and Master P, the party don't stop when it comes to news. We've been off for a few weeks, but so much has happened. We're going to get all into everything. But before we get into that, let the listeners know, especially the people listening for the first time, why they should be listening to Politically Entertaining every week. Man, you about to have me YouTube and all kind of no limit videos. Uh, they should be listening, man, because, you know, not everybody find politics interesting or news interesting. What we try to do is break it down, consolidate for you, let you listen to us. We usually run about 50 minutes or less per episode once a week. So we just gather all the news and information that we think you need to know, break it down for you and try to bring it to you in an entertaining way. And we usually have a great guest like we do today. Uh, we'll get into a lot of that politics and news. But first, Frank, uh, I know you probably, well, maybe you did. The BET Awards was last week. And, you know, we spoke on it last year when Jesse Williams gave that great speech. He gave a fantastic speech and we dissected it and talked about it. And this year they gave, I, well, I forget, is it the Humanitarian Award? I believe it is. Uh, they gave it to Chance the Rapper this year. And for the second year in a row, and maybe I'm too cynical on this. I don't even know if you've even, even noticed this. But so last year when Jesse Williams gave that great, fantastic speech that everybody shared and quoted, the very next act was Future coming out there rapping about Wiki, 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 or whatever that song was. And then this year, after giving Chance the Rapper all these props and all the great things that he's doing in Chicago, guess who performed? The very next minute, Future rapping about Percocet and, and Molly's and all of that. And for me, it really kind of pissed me off. I mean, timing is everything. Have him perform way before that or way after that. But to have it like right there and I'm not picking on Future. I listen to some of his music. But is that the message we want immediately after a great speech from Jesse Williams or, or looking at what Chance the Rapper has, has done? Did you notice that at all? Or am I being too, I don't know what you want to call it, cynical or, or pro-black, whatever you want to call it. What, what were your thoughts on that? So the BET Awards is actually one, is the only award show that I watch. I don't watch Grammys, Oscars, because I do enjoy that all the elements of the performances of African-Americans and the different, you know, the, you know, I just, I enjoy that, you know, more than some of those other award shows. Now, I do agree from this standpoint. If you're gonna, you have to be able to frame stuff a certain way, and there, and we understand that there are certain types of trap music or mumble rap, or whatever you want to call these guys, that are entertaining, and you know they make you move your feet and things like that. But to me, you gotta frame the show better. You know, you come out with a great speech, like last year, mentioned Jesse Williams, and then this year you have Chance the Rapper, who's doing great work, not just you know just in the community and just his business model is also great too he didn't sign a record deal and things there's so many positive things and then you got you know future coming out and there's um Percocet. Per you know per women and, 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 and another, another thing that was yeah i mean it's catchy it is and another thing that was really disturbing <laughs> was these women were just it's like wow so especially we talk about you know black women in our community and respecting them and there were some white women out there too but for the most part it's black women with masks on basically nameless um faceless women with big booties and dropping and 
doing whatever they're doing and so it's like but we talk about respect and it's like but we can't continue to push that imagery and say we respect our women and and still jam that but i mean it's it's a it's a it's a catch 22 because people want to enjoy that but we got to grow up a little bit and say hey what are we trying to do here um as far as what we're trying to promote and so bet are they really capable and maybe they just aren't and maybe we should just stop expecting so much from them it's funny i watch now man and i count how many rappers i don't know uh but that's a sign of getting old uh again i don't have anything against future but i just think timing is everything with that said let's get into some politics Politically entertaining your Cliff's notes to American politics, and now your hosts Frank and Byron. After a one-week layoff, uh, we ask that you subscribe. We are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, as well as podcasts on Google Play. We had a great price called free. So download us and please pass the word. We have ATL's top realtor, Amy McCoy, on. She'll be on the show later. And we'll also be discussing uh, some comments that Stevie Wonder uh, mentioned last week about Black Lives Matter. And we'll touch on that topic towards the end of the show. But before we get into that, I wanted to discuss um, if you view Democrats how I have lately. And I don't know if it's arrogance or if it's insanity where you do the same thing over and over hoping for a different result. But a couple of weeks ago, there was a special election in Georgia, the 6th District. Now, it's important to point out that it's been a Republican district for like the last 40 plus years. So if this guy, John Ossoff, that's who uh, ran on the Democratic side, had he pulled this off, it would have been a major victory. It would have been a big upset. However, the Democrats spent a lot, a ton, the most money they've ever spent on a congressional uh, seat in, in the history of this country was spent on this election. And they came up short. And I know they tried to spin it and say, well, look how close we came. But you didn't spend all that money to come close. You spent all that money to win. And the reason why I pointed to arrogance, Frank, is because this guy didn't even live in the district that he was running for. So I know he was saying that his girlfriend lived in a different district and he was going to move back to that district, the sixth district, once she finished, I think, uh, college or nursing school. It was something that she had going on. But my thing is, dude, you running for the district. That That's a big thing to people there. Like, how you going to run from a district for a district that you don't even live in? That's like, you know, the governor of California deciding to run for the governor well, a resident of California deciding to run for the governor of Mississippi. Like that's not going to work. And I also point to arrogance because we've talked about, you know, Hillary's campaign in 2016 and how she didn't bother to go to Michigan until the last minute because she thought she had it sold up. There were a lot of things that she could have done, but she thought she had it in the bag. And my, my question for you is, don't they know that people are paying attention? Like, it doesn't matter how bad Trump is. If the Democrats can't find their way, they're going to keep continuing to lose these elections. They've lost like the last five or six special elections 
Granted, they've all been Republican districts, but you got to get some victories. And with as bad a press as this president has gotten, you would think they would have gotten at least one and they haven't gotten any. So am I being too hard on the Democrats or do you see it the same way as I do with their arrogance or just not finding their way? Well, something I said on a previous episode, which you can listen to by going to iTunes or uh, Google Play podcast, Stitcher or Podbean uh, is the Democrats are the arrogant party or the corrupt party and the Republicans are the, Republicans are the stupid party. That's the saying. And so that arrogance or that corruption is shining through through and through in these special elections and other things. Because What I'm seeing is. Okay, yeah, the Republicans are doing a bad job, but their base is holding firm. That's the thing. The Republican Party is based on principles and laws, and that's why they always have a certain turnout and certain base. And Democratic side is mostly based on person. And, you know, that's why President, former President Obama was so popular because he was, as a, as the conservatives hated him because he was a rock star because they knew that when he was there, they couldn't outdraw him. They knew that McCain, Romney, whoever else they would have sent up there had no chance because people really just liked Obama, like they loved him. And so Hillary Clinton was not nearly as, not obviously not nearly as well liked and she didn't energize anybody. And so what I would say to the Democrats is you're, it's a combination of arrogance and complacency. And my thing is everybody's talking about four years of Trump, but I'm like, well, I don't really see what the Democrats are doing to get to, to knock him out in 2020 as bad as he's been. And I think it's upsetting to think that, that he could win again, but who, who are the Democrats going to raise up in the next four excuse me, three, three years, two and a half years now. I mean, that's the thing. The clock is moving really fast. Like people think that, oh yeah, you know, right. You know, but it's like the clock is moving really, really fast. And so, you know, who have you got? You can't bring Hillary Clinton back. Brock can't come back. Are you going to send up Cory Booker? You know, who who have you got? Who 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 are the Democrats really have in their hand? I know I, I didn't I'm going off, a little bit off topic, but I'm just saying the Democratic Party has a leadership issue uh, problem from the top down and it's going to keep affecting them until they realize that people really want to see candidates that are going to do something for the people and not just kind of say, "Oh, the Republicans are really bad." People don't really want that anymore. I would actually like to see Kamala Harris try to step into that uh, spotlight in the next couple of years and, and see. I think she would be a formidable opponent against uh, Trump. Uh, but from speaking about the Democrats to the Democrat, I think right now it's safe to say, as you just mentioned, uh, former President Barack Obama is probably still the top Democrat in the party. And his name was mentioned last week with Russia. And Frank, for the first time in political entertaining history, I'm going to utter these four words that I've never uttered before. Trump has a point. Now, he may be disingenuous with his point, but he has a point when he questions why didn't Obama do anything about Russia? Now, it was reported that Obama was told back in August of last year that, hey, Russia is interfering with the election. They're dropping these leaks. They're exposing they're hacking into, uh, you know, the emails and things like that. And he didn't do anything about it. Uh, one of his uh, people from his administration, they testified before Congress and, quote, said we choked when it came to handling and dealing with Russia. But I guess my question is, what could he have done? Because I'm thinking that he didn't, quote, do anything because, for one, he probably felt like we all did that Clinton was going to win. So it didn't 
he didn't need to, uh, you know, do anything about it. And two, I, I think, and I'm going to try to, I'm probably going to go off the rails, but I hope people follow me. So when Bill Clinton was president, he had a chance to kill bin Laden and he chose not to because there was a lot of civilians around and things of that nature. And of course, 9-11 hadn't happened at the time. So when he was going after bin Laden, Republicans accused him of trying to distract the country from the whole Monica Lewinsky scandal. And they were on record as saying, you know, bin Laden is a nobody. We don't need to, you know, focus our efforts on that. And so he kind of got scared and pulled away from it and because he knew he would get hammered had he done it. And I, I totally believe that because without 9-11, who is Bin Laden really? You know what I mean? Like, yes, he had attacked our embassy in Kenya. Yes, he had attacked our USS Cole. But he still wasn't on the radar like he was until after 9-11. And Clinton would have been hammered had he killed a bunch of civilians while trying to kill Bin Laden. So had Obama done something about this, he would have been hammered for trying to, uh, you know, fix the election for Hillary. You just want to ensure that your legacy stays intact by getting her elected. So I guess I kind of get why he didn't. Do you have any uh, theories as to why the, the former president didn't do anything when he was told by his intelligence that, hey, you know, Russia is having a hand in this election. You may want to do something about it. I think it was negligence on his part. I mean, if you hear about a foreign government interfering with your election process, you should do something. Now, obviously, you, it's going to be difficult to drop bombs on them or anything like that. But certainly, whatever they're doing uh, as far as accessing and things like that, try to track down who is leaking the information if possible um, or at least, you know, some sanctions or something. I don't know exactly the powers that you can do in those kind of informational war type of things. But you need to address it just for the integrity of the election. Now, from a standpoint, that's what I feel like he should have done just because he was the president and that's his duty to protect the integrity of things in the country. Now, as far as how it would have looked, people would not have received it well. Like, that's the thing about it. It's like, if he had done what was right, people would have been like, oh, well, he's just trying to, you know, make sure it's all rigged. No, Donald Trump is running and they, they're not giving him a chance and Hillary's crooked and they're, you know, Bill Clinton's argument with, with Loretta Lynch. Now he's accusing the Russians of trying to fix the election. It's all, you know, it would have been spun in such a way that it may have caused more of a firestorm for Clinton during her campaign. So he may have also considered that angle as well when when, just, when looking at how severe the threat was. So, um, you know, it's just one of those kind of things where at the end of the day, when you look back at it, the thing that I think really caught two things really caused Hillary Clinton the election and it wasn't the Russian hacking. One was her lack of her disingenuous her lack of genuine interest in the Rust Belt states, Wisconsin, Michigan, um, Pennsylvania, specifically well not Pennsylvania, not Rust Belt State, but Wisconsin and Michigan specifically. And then also um, James Com James Comey's letter coming out basically a week before the election. I think that sapped a lot of energy from people that would have voted for her. I mean, Donald Trump won Wisconsin and Michigan by, I mean, I don't know if it was, you know, 10, 20,000 votes in both states. It was a very small number. I mean, people act like he won in this big landslide. It's like it was just enough to turn things off for Clinton. So those two things to me were the biggest thing that hurt her. And so the Russian thing was actually third, in my opinion. But 
it still was an issue and he should have addressed it from an integrity standpoint but at the end of the day it would have been a no-win situation for him no matter what he did yeah i agree um like i say i, I get why he didn't uh but it's easy to monday morning quarterback and ask why didn't he uh frank and i are going to discuss stevie wonder in a few moments uh but let's let amy mccoy join us we're going to talk to her ask her a few questions and we'll talk to you on the end Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. As mentioned at the top of the show, she's one of Atlanta's top realtors. I know her personally. She is hard work, dedication personified. Amy McCoy, I want to thank you for joining us on the show today. What's going on? Hey, thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Good. We like to hear that. We like to hear that. Uh, hopefully we can, um, you know, supply the listeners with some great advice on home buying. And my first question that I wanted to uh, come at you with, it, I hope it's for the listeners, but it's for me more than anybody. And that is, do you have any examples uh, on what's the difference between a good realtor and a bad realtor? And I ask that because I've had some realtors that consistently lost paperwork. Like you, you will been in fact something two days ago, two days later. They're like, uh, I still need this and that. And you're like, I already sent it. So they would lose paperwork. I've had realtors that would send like God awful properties when I specifically told them, look, we're not looking for X, Y, and Z. And they still would send it to me in their listings. So in your opinion, what, uh, what are the key characteristics of, of a good realtor versus a, a terrible realtor? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, and it's going to be kind of hard for me to answer a good realtor versus bad realtor. So let me start by saying there's a difference between real estate professionals being a real estate agent and a realtor. I hope no realtor ever gave you bad service because they hold they upheld a certain code of ethics. So there's a difference there, even though both are licensed to sell. A realtor is going to go above and beyond. Or I would think I would hope that they would. I myself am a realtor. Um, meaning I'm actually governed by local boards to make sure that I uphold those ethics um, and certain professionalism. So to that degree, I hope that that wasn't a realtor that was bad. that gave you that bad experience. <laughs> but uh, but I'm sure they'll uh, I'm sure the next one will do better for you. Hopefully just make sure you use a realtor. Um, now, I will say right now in today's market. With the lack of inventory, I don't care what city you're in right now, the real estate market is hot. So for Atlanta, the supply and demand is, I mean, ridiculous right now. We have more than 35,000 licensed professionals in the state of Georgia, and we rare, we barely have 28,000 homes on the market in the state of Georgia. So, you know, it, it's all about supply and demand. So when there's a house that comes on the market, it could be on the on the market for less than an hour and already have multiple offers. I can't say in every market share is that way uh, around the city, but in majority of the market, it is when the home is priced right based on uh, the amenities in the home. If it's priced right, it's going under contract with, I mean, just the way that the wind blows so fast, you know, so it's it's a uh, definitely a seller's market. So if an agent is sending you something, even if it's not on your criteria, it might just be that that's all that's available. 
you know, and expectations, you know, might have to to change a little. And I hate to say it that way, but, you know, you really have to have an open mind when looking uh, for a home right now in this market because the market is high. I don't like I said, I don't care which city you're in. It really is booming. <laughs> that's 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 very great to know for those that are considering selling. Uh, my next question for you is real estate. It can be pretty up and down at times. You said right now it's mm-hmm. hot, but uh, we do know that it can be down as it was several years ago. So what made you want to get into real estate in such a, you know, the type of industry that can be hot for a while and then completely cold another another time? You know, when I and I'm glad you asked that as well, I, when I started in this business, uh, it was before we were at the peak of uh, the, the market uh, back in 2004 is when I got my real estate license and uh, made top 10 percent of the company I was with within my first year and became one of the top 50 uh, realtors in the nation um, that was on the rise, according to Real Estate Magazine, just because I saw um a niche in the market that worked best for me um, as a businesswoman. Um, I really uh, I work very hard for a lot of my clients and I just happened to find um, it interesting. And I didn't know if I would be good at it, but I wind up being great at it. And I stayed to a particular lane uh, with my clients, um, dealing with a lot of investors. Uh, my company also handles property management as well. When the market crashed, as much as I loved real estate, it didn't love anybody back. I mean, that's the best way I could put it. Um, and, you know, so I've seen the highs and I've seen the lows, but I persevered through it and uh, maintained uh, a certain quality relationship with a lot of my clients and was able to maintain through uh, my rental portfolio uh, um, and still sell properties to clients that were overseas. Um, as the market was increasing back, I was able to then open my own brokerage as uh, the market market was coming back. But yes, there was a time where we hit that bubble and it didn't love anyone back. And we are going to be approaching another bubble soon. Um, some people believe we are in it now. Um, but I believe based off of certain regulations and uh, right now with supply and demand, that's what's keeping us from having uh, seeing the same volatile numbers that we had back in 2008, and 2009. Um, you know, if if you were able to purchase then, boy, you are making money now. Let me tell you. <laughs> hey, Amy, uh, this is Frank. I'm going to. At, at piggyback off the last thing you mentioned, you talked about regulations uh, happening, uh-huh. and, and I think about a decade ago, I could, you can correct me on the, the timeline, but let's just say for this purpose, a decade ago, there was federal law passed that said, hey, if you're in a community that's delinquent, has HOA fees, and there anybody's in the rear, say more than I think it's uh, more than 15% of your, um, how would you say, 15% of the homeowners in your association are delinquent. By more than 60 days, you cannot apply for FHA or Fannie Bay Fannie based loans, and that's a big deal because that limits people who can refinance and also people who can potentially buy. Have you how have you seen that affect communities, and, and what are some of the ways people have gotten around that regulation uh, in the time you've been in the market since that law was passed? Okay, so since that. Um 
And actually, that's a very good good statement to make. Uh, here in the Atlanta market, one of the hardest parts for us was that it caused such a devastation to our condos and townhomes. The housing market, in terms of uh, single-family residents here in Atlanta, it didn't impact in terms of HOA being in delinquency, but it, it did affect our condos and our townhomes, the condominiums. Um, and so right now we have a lot of our probably more than 80%, um, and that's a rough number, but uh, – uh, condominiums that won't even allow FHA financing because when the market crashed, it caused such a severity to the delinquency rates that there is no hope of them ever going H, uh, FHA. So right now, in order to buy in those neighborhoods, you have to pay cash because um, even some conventional financing is not willing to um you know, fund in those neighborhoods because you have delinquency rates at more than 50 percent, you know, um, and most HOA companies are trying desperately to get, um, you know, get those rates collected. Uh, and when you have, I'm sure in places like Florida that doesn't have as many investor caps, uh, but that type of um, having Investors within a community can also limit your FHA uh, uh, availability for those homeowners that are in those condos. But, yes, the delinquency rate is a huge issue, huge issue. So I'm I'm actually going to ask a two part question. So Mm -hmm. it's a huge issue. And so for those people who are, say, stuck and they're going to get cash buyers, like what is their real option to get out and then? On top of that question, we talked at the beginning. Byron mentioned bad, um, you know, bad real estate. You you, you clarified in real and clarified between real estate professionals and real estate agents or realtors, excuse me. Have you what, what are the bad what are examples of bad buyers that you've dealt with, and just how how do you deal with or how do you weed out somebody who's going to be a potentially bad buyer as well? Okay, well. First and foremost, if you're a buyer and you're looking to purchase a home or a condo or a piece of land, first, yes, you want to hire a real estate professional. But you also want to get in contact with a lender, you know, to make sure that you want are qualified, make sure your credit's up to par so that you can determine what type of program you would qualify for. There's FHA loans, there's VA loans, there's conventional loans. Programs change and just like rates change, they could change daily, weekly. It just depends on what's out there, how the market uh, varies. Um, different banks offer different programs. So I would always encourage the buyer to, yes, get with a real estate professional first, but also contact uh, a lender. You can't you don't want to and excuse my analogy here, but, you know, you don't want to show up to a gunfight without a gun. Right. So you want to make sure you you have what you need in order to be prepared, because if you don't prepare, you're going to fail and you don't want to waste the real estate agent's time. And as a professional, they're going to guide you with the lender that's going to get you exactly what you need. You know, you want to interview your lenders just like you want to interview your real estate agent. Don't go with the first one you see unless, you know, they're me because I'm awesome. (laughs) (laughs) but i'm going to actually refer you to a good lender one who knows how i work because um my previous experience in law enforcement helps me have a certain dedication and professionalism about my craft um and so you want someone who's going to know their products 
Um, there's a lot of agents out here that, you know, have a part time and I don't knock anyone's hustle, you know, but I sell homes. I don't sell Avon. I don't sell prepaid legal. Just like I'm not going to sell you on loans that change so often. I'd rather have someone that that's all that they do. Get you the best product for your financial uh, stability. And so just like I'm going to find you a good home that's going to match with that program and it's going to put you in the best position for your family needs. So you want to make sure that you, you're educated in terms of what programs have to offer, because different programs, not every house will accept every program. If you have an FHA loan, which uh, one of the misconceptions is you have to save all this money and have 20 percent down on a home. Yes, we want you to be invested in the home, have skin in the game in the home. Uh, but there's programs like FHA that only require three and a half percent down, which is what most first time home buyers are going to utilize with that said, not every house is going to qualify for FHA. So it's important to have a real estate professional show you what you will qualify for based off what that lender says you qualify for. We are talking to Amy McCoy of My Hometown Realty Group in Atlanta. You can visit her website, myhometownatl.com. If you're interested in the market, go to that website. They have properties that are for sale there and you can Search and uh, see what you can find on there. Amy, I want to kind of it's not so much. Uh, I'm not going to ask about what a bad buyer is, but who are the most challenging uh, people to find a home for? Is it first time home buyers or couples that uh, have opposite tastes? Like, who would you say are the most challenging when they come to you and you and you say, OK, this is going to be a tough one. Uh, who are the most challenging uh, customers for you? I wish I could say it's a certain demographic or, you know, things like that. I really wish I could say that. But an unprepared buyer, um, you know, everyone knows what they're looking for. But those that, that don't want to give you all the information or they don't want to get pre-qualified, but they want to go see every home uh, before they even, you know, do their due diligence. Uh, they don't know what side of town they want to be on. You know, those ones are the more frustrating, uh, you know. That's the best way I could put it. Those are the most frustrating. I've had some uh, senior clients that have made me nearly pull my hair out. And then I've had some millennial buyers that have made me pull my hair out. (laughs) But um, but I have a high tolerance. And, uh, (laughs) you know, my goal is to get them what they need, um, you know, that's going to make them happy as a as a homeowner and live that American dream that they've always wanted. All right. Before I get you out of here with this last question, I want to put you on the spot. Did you know you were selling? uh, Did you know you were selling to Killer Mike before someone told you that that was Killer Mike, the rapper? (laughs) Did did you know who Killer Mike was before someone had to tell you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know who Killer Mike is. Uh, Actually, I've had uh, several celebrity clients um, that I work with some. You know, I can't disclose, <laughs> right, but right. Uh, but yeah, no, he 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 was a pretty amazing character and uh, and he's my neighbor now. <laughs> so I uh, I'm actually happy to have him within the community and, uh, you know, big up to him with the new albums coming out. And, uh, you know, he's pretty awesome. Very uh, social, socially conscious, too. All right. So this last question, uh, we've been talking a lot about, you know, you mentioned at the top of the interview how the housing market is hot right now. Uh, and Frank mentioned the crash. 
we've discussed it pretty much in its totality. When you say the housing market is hot, how do we avoid what began in the early 2000s? Because in this area, in the D.C. area, the housing market was so hot that, you know, how you mentioned a house can go on sale right now in Atlanta and sell within a couple of days. They were selling within hours here. They were selling to the point to where buyers were skipping getting the home inspected because it was so much competition to buy a home. They didn't want to miss out on it. And then, of course, we know what happened several years later when people bought too much house that they couldn't afford. Is there a way to avoid this? Or I know you mentioned that we're in the we're close to the bubble now. Is it inevitable to have another housing crash in the next couple of years? Well, you know, one of the thing I listen to Tony Roberts sometimes and uh, we I mean, we have a, a crash every year. No, people don't realize it. Uh, our markets get volatile all the time um, and we recover. Uh, Obama did put certain, you know, things in place so that, you know, hopefully we wouldn't have it. But we've been on an upswing for more than seven years now. So it is inevitable that there is going to be another one. However, as buyers, if you are looking to invest in your future, the housing market is going to always be the number one um, number one easy way to, to invest. I mean, your return on your investment. People think that if the market was to crash tomorrow, they have to hurry up and sell. Well, no. If you are a responsible buyer and put your money down on uh, when you first got the home. Um, you know, there's people out here that don't have great credit and they think, oh, I don't have to put any money on the house and I can get a great interest rate. And no, if you want to make money in this in this business, you have to put money into it. That's any business, just like your future. Buy a house, get a home inspection that you you want to make sure you're protecting your investment when you see, um, you know, certain decaying happening in the house while you're paying for the house. You already own the house. You want to take care of that investment, protect that investment. If you ever have to sell, you don't want to take deductions based off of negligence because you didn't keep the home. You know, it's one of the best investments in terms of being able to rent those homes out. When the market goes down, who's really making money? The people who actually own the homes that are renting them out. That's who's actually making money. So it's not it doesn't have to be volatile for everyone. If you buy smart, if you, let me take a step back. If you qualify for two hundred thousand, I'm just throwing this number out. Mm-hmm. If you qualify for two hundred thousand, it doesn't mean you have to go and out there and purchase a house at two hundred thousand. You could find a perfectly good house at one hundred thousand or one hundred and twenty thousand. So that way you're actually coming in low so that you have a house note that is affordable. Okay, taxes are going to be what they are. Insurance is going to be what they are. But you as the homeowner have to be happy to write that check out every single month. It is not going to matter if that that market crash. If you lose your job, you need to be able to make sure that you have a sound investment that you can rent that home out and make that cap that cash flow. You can always refinance. Uh, There's so many different options out there. Just get a licensed professional to help you with your home buying or even refinancing or selling options. Makes sense. Makes sense. Amy McCoy, My Hometown Realty Group. Again, you can visit myhometownatl.com. Uh, Amy, 
I mentioned at the top of the interview how you are hard work, dedication personified. It's okay to take a break every once in a while. Okay. I just wanted to let <laughs> you know that before you go. Same. All right. All right. Hey, appreciate, I appreciate you coming it. on, ma'am. Thank you very much. And again, my hometown realty group, your property is our priority. And I look forward to doing business with anyone who's ready to invest in Atlanta. All right, Atlanta. Hit her up. I want to thank Amy McCoy once again for joining us again. You can visit our website, myhometownatl.com. Uh, I really do mean this. She is a very, very hard worker. So anybody in the Atlanta area, if you're looking to purchase a home, if you're looking for a realtor, you know, I'm not sure how much weight it carries since I know her personally, but I'm, I can guarantee you nobody's going to work harder for you than she is. And I hope that came through in her interview. I'm glad we had her on. She, uh, was very excited to be on. And again, Amy, like I said before you left, it's okay to take a break. She probably won't listen to that advice. Uh, but like I say, you will be hard pressed to find a better realtor in that area. Uh, Frank, what did you get from the interview, brother? Uh, her sincerity definitely shined through just her knowledge of, of the real estate game, uh, understanding just, just, just under, just her command of the market, not just buying and selling houses, but just the general ebb and flow. That's a true professional. You know, I think sometimes we look at, you know, how much did you sell it for, how much did you buy it for, but just understanding that landscape and navigating it for so many different clients for different needs. I think when you go to the website, there's three testimonials that people just are just, you know, so happy, you know, lauding her with so much praise because of her knowledge and because of her sincerity. So I just want to say to her, definitely, we enjoyed having you on. Love to have you back. And just great insight for people who are looking at buying a home or, uh, you know, looking at selling a home. Definitely listen to that interview again and, and maybe get something from it. Before we go, um, I feel like I need to begin by saying that I I got it. I've had the opportunity to see Stevie Wonder perform. And when I say that man has hits, he has hits. He is a legend. Uh, I love his music. Uh, I think he uh, has done a lot. And, you know, I, <laughs> I'm saying all this because here's what happened. So last week, Stevie Wonder came out and said well, it was almost two weeks ago now. But he said at a uh, conference on peace in Minneapolis, Minneapolis, this was after uh, the killer of Philando Castile was uh, found not guilty, as usual, uh, when these things come up. Uh, and so the city had a conference on peace and Stevie Wonder spoke on it. And he said, quote, you cannot say black lives matter and then kill yourselves, end quote. And basically what he, he went on to say that, you know, we have mattered long before black lives matter came along. And the way for us to show it is by loving one another. And again, this was at the Conference on Peace in Minneapolis. A few things, Frank, for me. Uh, one, it's important to point out that uh, he said this after he came out in support of Black Lives Matter. I think it was a few months ago at one of his concerts. He mentioned Black Lives Matter and how, you know, he has love for the group. He supports the group. And I don't know if he's gotten some backlash since then, which I'm sure he has, because it's a very, uh, you know, it's it's not the most uh, positive 
looked upon group that we have right now. Uh, so I'm sure he's gotten some backlash, but I got to disagree with him saying that, you know, the way we show it is by loving one another. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, we definitely need to cut down on the killing. Uh, Frank, our hometown, Mobile, Alabama, has had a rash of killings for such a small city. Uh, so, yes, we I don't think anybody that is uh, credible or reasonable uh, will not acknowledge that there are problems within the black community that we need to address, that we do address all the time. It doesn't always get publicized, but we do our best to try to address those problems. So I don't think anyone would disagree with that. But the whole in order to basically what I get from it is he's saying in order to stop people from from the, the police from killing us, we got to start loving one another. And I disagree with that. Look, we all have a right to live our lives and, and not be uh, unfairly killed, unfairly harassed, unfairly profiled. I can go on and on about that. Uh, it shouldn't matter how a small group of a race acts because it is a small group. I know the if you watch the media, it doesn't seem that way. It seems like, you know, oh, you know, people love to point out Chicago and, as though every black person in the country is just killing each other and selling drugs and, and doing all these bad things. It really is a small percent. And, you know, if you're going to judge an entire race on that, then that's on you. And my other point is. It felt more like victim blaming. Like, I didn't see why this needed to be said, especially when it was Philando Castillo, who was in his own car with his girlfriend, with his child, politely told the officer, hey, I have a permit for a firearm. I have my firearm on me. And he still wound up dead. So I just don't I don't see where he would why he would bring this in as far as the killing one another when. This particular case had nothing to do with it. Uh, were you able to catch his comments on this? And what were your thoughts when you heard this? And were you shocked to hear Stevie Wonder uh, speak out like this on Black Lives Matter? I, I did not hear. Um, I did not hear his comments, but I mean, am I shocked? No, I think I think the problem is there's too many black celebrities who are taking the easy route with love, let's love each other, let's stop killing each other. And I think that that's the wrong message in that, in that, in that, in that narrative, so to speak, right? Because Philando Castile was loving, he has, he has a fiance or had a fiance and a daughter. So he's, he's, he's in a loving family. He's, he's living life. Like he's loving, he's in his community. He's doing things. Terrence Crutcher was a man in his community, you know, doing things. Tamir Rice was just a young boy. He would have been somebody in his community. Uh, Michael Brown, Michael Moore, you know, the list goes on of young men who were doing something. Jordan Crawford, you know, um, these are these are people who are doing things. So there are, you know, when their life has been taken unfairly, I think it's 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 disingenuous to say we need to stop killing each other because. I've never, I've never been a thug. People know, people who know me know where I grew up. So I was not hard. I was not a thug. I've never pretended to be either. So, yeah, but, but I could still be subject to the same things that have happened to anybody else 
and then they would label me as a criminal, which would be absurd considering my background, my history, and everything I've done. But they, they would do that. That's that's the point. That's the fear that we carry with us as African Americans. That's why we want we say Black Lives Matter so that people will recognize you can't just snuff out our lives and then get off. Um, and, and what and what needs to be understood is that these criminal cases that are end up losing, they end up paying millions of dollars out in civil cases. So they're like, oh yeah, we're not convicting anybody. We'll pay you millions of dollars on the back end because yeah, you really did. What really was a wrongful death. So I mean, you know, it, it's it's really disgusting that you have people like Charles Barkley, Shaq, now Stevie Wonder, Steve Harvey, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, who come out with that love and peace message. And that's perfectly fine in a certain context. If you're if you're addressing a group of young black men and women, and you want to make that statement, I think it's perfectly fine. But I, I don't feel like that's an inter, that's an internal message. That's not for the the masses who are you know ready to whitewash history, who already have whitewashed history, and are like, oh yeah, see, look, they keep killing themselves. They're animals, you know. And, and so that's my thing. I you know, am I shocked? No. I mean, I I, I could make some derogatory comments about Stevie, but I respect him. He's been, you know, I actually had pondered saying a couple of things. I was like, you know what? That's not, that's not what I am. That's not who this show is. So, you know, do I respect Stevie Wonder? Yes. Do I agree with his comments? Of course not. And so hopefully he'll um, be able to, you know, at, at some point understand what the difference between Black Lives Matter is and also black community loving each other and, and just, be able to take all that into context in the future, the proper context. I think I have an idea of what you wanted to say. Uh, what he needs to know is the difference is, and I said this over and over again, I'll say it one last time, when when blacks kill blacks, they usually are caught, punished, jailed. Uh, there's usually They're usually held accountable. The difference is when these police, and it's not always police because your, your boy Zimmerman wasn't even a police officer and he got away with it. Our issue when we say Black Lives Matter is nobody's being held accountable. So all these murders that you point to in Chicago, those killers are being hunted for many times, caught and in prison. That's a huge difference. They're being held accountable. And again, we I mean, there are all types of organizations that address, you know, not just black on black crime, but just violence in general in these neighborhoods. So you really, really kind of. um ignore their efforts when you say things like that but i know that's not going to change any minds just wanted to put that out there gonna let you take us out frank i just wanted to mention to the listeners that we'll be off next week uh frank and i will discuss the week after i think we'll be able to come back in two weeks but if not when we do come back we have an interesting election going on in mobile alabama yes mobile we're talking about y'all with the sam jones mayor stimson election coming up and a lot of the council seats uh, elections that we want we want in on that. It's very interesting. So we're going to uh, try to do a series of shows leading up to your August election. Uh, and hopefully we can get some of the candidates candidates on and uh, really dive into what's going on down there in Mobile, Alabama, because it's very interesting. It's going to be a close contested mayoral election. And I can't wait to uh, dive into it. So be looking for that. And before I let Frank take us out, I just want to tell everyone. Thanks for listening to us. We really appreciate it. We do it for you guys. Again, big thanks to Amy McCoy. Thank you for coming on the show. We definitely appreciate it. Love to have you on again soon. To all the listeners out there, we thank you for continuing to listen to us. This is our second season. We're halfway through our second season. We're just glad that we're able to bring you 
uh, the truth and news and politics as, as the way we see it. We're not trying to spin it any kind of way. You may not agree with everything we say, but nobody is telling us what to say. We're just saying what we think or based on what we see. So we're glad to have that ability. We're grateful that you continue to tune in and listen to our show. We just ask if you continue to check us out. iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, uh, Google Play on podcasts. Also, um, check out our YouTube channel for some great interviews. Zaza Ali, Tim Wise, uh, Tim Scott. You can definitely hear some some great interviews. Go, even go back far and listen to Claiborne Carson. That's always a great interview to hear um, in, in our first season as well. Just give you great perspective on some historical civil rights things as well. So, again, we just want to thank you guys for listening. We, as Byron mentioned, we do the show for you. So we'll see you guys soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.